Welcome to the watermarkoc.church podcast. Thank you for listening. That's the best part about the church, the people around. We got some folks visiting. I met some folks from Ohio today, the great state of Ohio. Give them a hand. I met somebody from the great state of North Carolina today. Give them a hand. All right. So we got visitors from all over, and uh, whether you're from far away or close by, just down the street in Costa Mesa or Irvine or wherever you come from, we're glad you're here today. I'm Pastor Bucky. It's just so fun to be with you guys today, and I'm excited because God is alive and well at Martimark, and we have new coffee. Praise God. No longer will we suffer under the bitter bondage of bitter coffee. We've thrown out the old canisters. I think they, come, they came from back in the 40s, these old can, 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 canisters that we used to make coffee in. We've got a new coffee machine. We're brewing Starbucks this morning, and it is heaven. Woo! you got to try it. Now, we're buy, we're, just to go with your coffee, we're giving you a little piece of pie afterwards. Enjoy that. But the coffee is great. So. And we're excited, too, because God's doing great things in our community. We have a team down in Mexico building houses. And I heard from Joe Hill, who's kind of the leader, and said, hey, we're baptizing new believers this morning because of this, habit, this house build. And he said, you know, thank God, praise God, tell the church, thanks for your prayers, your support. It wouldn't happen without all of us just giving and sacrificing and those people going down and building houses. And we have this church that we've been able to plant down there called Nueva Casa, a new house that comes out of the whole house building movement. And it's an awesome thing to partner down there. And also, uh, it was so fun yesterday, we got, you know, we were involved in this partnership with Trellis, which is a great organization that just exists to bring the churches together in a city to really help the city face its biggest challenges. And and Ian is a great friend of mine, and uh, he was a pastor at The Crossing, but now he leads Trellis, and we do partnership things with many churches. Yesterday, it was our day to serve the homeless at the Crossing Church, and other churches were there too, but it was a beautiful time. We got to meet some wonderful people that are looking for hope and looking for God, and we got the chance to serve them. I met a guy named Robert. This guy's on the street. This guy's had two, uh, two, uh, uh, what happens when you have a, your heart goes and you lose half your body? Yes, that's what I meant. He's had two strokes, and he's just hobbling around, and I talked to him, and he has such a story for God. He so believes that God has taken him through those strokes, allows him to live on the street. He says, every day God shows up in my life. Somebody comes. They're throwing money at me. People throw money at me. I've just gotten, gotten a place where I can live now. Somebody opened the door. I'm living in a home now. And he w- here's this homeless guy. And I'm thinking, wow, this guy's man, he must be so beat down, so poor. I was the poor and needy one there. He was feeding me his faith, his hope. I was the poor one. And that's what happens when you go to the poor and needy and you help them physically. They help you spiritually because many of them... Because they don't have all this stuff, he goes, I don't have all this stuff, and God is the one that I hold on to every day. He's so real to me. I don't stand alone on the streets. I stand with God. And this guy goes, yeah, this is my ministry. This guy goes, this is my ministry. I'm on the streets to tell people about Jesus. I'm a homeless missionary on the streets, this guy. I mean, he's so ministered to me. And just never know when you go to try to love someone, how they love you back. This is a beautiful thing. So I invite you to jump in. Jump in and serve in the homeless. Jump in, go down to Mexico, build a house. Jump in, get to know the names of your neighbors. How many of you know the names of your neighbors? How many of you pray for your neighbors? How many invite them over for dinner, right? A lot of us don't even know our neighbors. You know, build a bridge to your neighbor. 
That's what it means to be the church. And I want to encourage you, all of you, because I'm, I'm excited that you guys want to follow God, be, be disciples of Christ in Orange County. I mean, that's what we're about, is about building disciples who really proclaim God's grace and truth in their communities. And I want to encourage you in this book about a man who stood for God. His name was Elijah. Uh, we're going to go back to the Old Testament. We're going to go get, up, get out the book of 1 Kings, dust it off, find out where it is again in our Bible. We're going to dust it off, and we're going to look at the life of Elijah. But the one thing I want you to get out of the book of Elijah is that you are not alone. When you stand for God in your city, when you stand for God in your community, when you stand for God in your workplace, many times you feel alone. Our culture is moving, moving faster and farther away from God. When you stand alone in your workplace for justice and righteousness and what is good, sometimes you feel alone, right? Nobody else has the values that I do, right? Sometimes when you stand up for the gospel and you tell people about Jesus, you might stand alone. Uh, Sometimes I'm in a coffee shop and I open my Bible. I'm wondering if anybody's looking at me because I'm the only one there with the Bible. I, I feel alone. And sometimes we feel alone. Sometimes when we stand up, for a friend, you know, for injustice and to love that friend, we feel alone. When we're standing with somebody and trying to bridge and be there for them, sometimes we feel alone. And God wants you to know when you stand up for his righteousness, when you stand up for his justice, when you stand up for his grace and goodness in your life and in the land, you are not alone. And that is the message of the prophet Elijah. He's a guy that stood alone for God. And yet he was not alone. God was with him, and the people of God were with him. And the clicker was with him. God, make the clicker work. Bring down fire from heaven. There it is. Yes, I don't stand alone. The clicker is with me. So when you stand alone in your workplace, in your family, when Kathleen And I, 16 years old, came to Jesus Christ. We walk into our family. None of them are Christians. And we say, we love Jesus now. This is awesome. They thought we were crazy. They thought we'd gotten into a cult. We were the only ones standing for Christ in her family. But we were not alone. God was with us. God's people were around us. And every member of our family over the next 30 years would come to Christ and call him Lord and Savior. We did not stand alone. Because God was with us. And God is with you as you stand up for him in Orange County. Look at Elijah, the most mentioned prophet in the New Testament. The most mentioned prophet in the New Testament. Here's James, the brother of Jesus, reminding the church that prayer makes a difference. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. When you pray God's will, God's way, you are not alone right? God is with you. Elijah was a human being. That's why I love Elijah. He's just a man. He's not any better, greater, more wonderful than anybody in this room, than any any seat in this room. He was a fragile man. He struggled with depression. He had fear. He had anger. He had all the stuff that we got inside of us. He just was a man, even as we are. But he prayed earnestly in the way of God and the will of God, that it would not rain, and it did not rain in the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. When you stand alone for God, you're not alone. God is with you. His word is powerful in you, and the prayer of a righteous man. And I'm not righteous in and of myself. 
I'm righteous when I pray in God's will because of the righteousness of Christ. We stand in the righteousness of Christ and we stand in his word and his will. And Jesus says, when you pray in my word and my will, things will happen. When you stand in my righteousness, not your own righteousness, I will move things and I will open doors and I will make things happen. Because when you stand for God, you are not alone in Orange County. You can make a huge difference for God. The prayers of a righteous availeth much in your business. The prayers of the righteous availeth much in your community. The prayers of the righteous availeth much in your marriage. Some of you feel like I'm standing alone for my marriage. My husband and my wife, they just don't get it. But the prayers of a righteous in a marriage make a huge difference. The prayers of a righteous for a wayward teen. Right? I talked to a man this week who stood up and down and celebrated because his son got this amazing promotion, this amazing job. And he had prayed for his son over and over again. And his prayers were answered. His son came back to God, received God, and now has gotten a promotion at work because his son is following God's way. He said, I didn't stand alone when I prayed. (laughs) You prayed with me, Bucky. I wasn't alone. And the power of God worked in my son's life. When you pray, you don't stand alone. God is with you. And he is moving that prayer for, for wonderful things. The life of Elijah shows us that. You're not alone. Why did Elijah feel so alone? Why do we feel so alone many times? Those calling upon the name of God. Those believing in the gospel of grace. Those wanting to follow God's ways. Because our culture many times is drifting away from God. Our culture many times feels like we're in darkness. Our culture many times has different values, different uh, things, and different agendas. I mean, sometimes we feel like we're drifting into darkness. Sometimes we look at the internet and we see the stories that come across and I go, I can't believe, I can't believe that man was drowning and nobody did anything to save him. I can't believe that man was drowning alone and those kids had, had a way to rescue him and they did nothing but laugh. What's wrong with our culture? What's happening The wheels are coming off, right? I can't believe that the divorce rate is getting beyond 50%. I can't believe that that man who was my neighbor abused his wife and I didn't even know about it. I can't believe how many homeless are on the streets. I can't believe what's happening in our culture. What's wrong? And sometimes we feel alone in the dark. And the life of Elijah says you are not alone. You do not stand alone. God is with you. And your life can make a difference. What's the backdrop of Elijah's powerful message to his culture? It's a backdrop of darkness. It's a backdrop of sin. It's a backdrop of idolatry. It's a backdrop of leadership walking away from God. It's a backdrop of a nation forgetting to worship the true God and worshiping idols and false gods. And look at what the backdrop is for the life of Elijah. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah... Ahab, son of Omri, became the king of Israel. First of all, we notice that Israel is divided at this time in the history of the nation. They're living under a divided monarchy. And so we have kings, and and when you read the book of 1 Kings, you're going to notice that there are kings in the line of Judah and kings in the line of Israel because the nation has divided after Solomon. Right? The nation was great under the King David. He was a man after God's heart. They expanded. 
And then Solomon, his son, built the temple, and the nation was powerful. But as we read the scriptures, we realize that Solomon began to stray away from the word of God and the promises of God. He intermarried uh, with other women from other nations with other beliefs, and he began to worship their gods. And that led into a divided kingdom. The nation split. And you had the ten tribes going to the north called Israel, the northern kingdom. You had two tribes going to the south, right? Judah and Benjamin, that was the southern kingdom. And so Israel is divided because of this idolatrous heart that begins to move from one king to the next. As we move on, it says, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than the other kings before him. There was about seven kings that came before him in the line of the northern kingdom Israel, and each king, as it gives the epitaph on their life, it says, he did more evil than the king before him, and he followed in the ways of Jeroboam. Okay, so we have this line of kings. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, so he committed those sins, but he also did more. What was the sin of Jeroboam, who was the first king of Israel, the northern side? The sin of Jeroboam was to lead the people, as the kingdom was divided, to create false places of worship in the northern kingdom. Right? Where's the temple? The temple's in Jerusalem. That's where the priesthood is, the Levites. That's where you're supposed to worship. This is the way we worship God in his city. All of a sudden, the kingdom divides. Jeroboam gets political. I don't want people to go to Jerusalem to worship. I want them to stay home because if they go to Jerusalem, they might leave me and go back. So I'm going to set up convenient worship temples for them. And I'll put these, these images of these golden calves in there. And they'll worship here. And you can worship your God here. Here's your God, Israel. And so he began to lead the people in false worship in a place that was not ordained by God, right? In Israel and Samaria. And with false images of God. And so the people began to stray under his leadership. The kings followed that. And then you come to Ahab. And Ahab supersizes the evil, right? Because the first time we're not just mentioning a man, we're mentioning a man and a woman, right? We're going from Jesse James to Bonnie and Clyde, right? All of a sudden, there's a partnership. Ahab marries this woman, Jezebel, whose name is famous, right, throughout the Bible. And she brings first-class idolatry into Israel. Look at what it says. It says, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ephbal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Jezebel's god Baal and worship him. He set up an altar. He builds a temple for Baal there right in the land. And, and, and he built uh, it in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asheroth pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings before him. Why is evil supersized under Jezebel and Ahab? Because she brings not only a false place or a false image, she brings a false god. She brings Baal into the system. And this is not just pluralism, right? It's not, you know, if you want to worship this god over here, that's fine. You could worship this god over here. It doesn't matter. All gods are the same, right? That's what we're dealing with in America right now, a nation of pluralism. This is Jezebel saying, guess what? There's only one God in Israel now. His name is Baal, and I'm going to take out Yahweh and his people. I'm going to kill Yahweh's prophets. I'm kicking them out of here. And so she had an agenda to destroy God 
and God's prophets that were still left in the land. And so this is the evil that's beginning to happen under the, the reign of Ahab and now Jezebel leading her husband because she's really the leader here, leading them all into idolatry, the worship of a false god, right? And so this is the backdrop, right? All this is happening as people, this, this nation is sliding into sin and suddenly God raises up someone to step up. God raises up a man, his name is Elijah, and he's the only one standing up for God. But he's not standing alone. And that's the message of his life. You may be called to stand up for God. Sometime, when it's not easy and it's inconvenient and you're you're afraid, there might be a pushback. You might not be liked. If you share your story about who God is in your life, you might not be liked. If you say, guess what? I'm a Christian and I'm not going to go to bed with you because I'm going to wait for marriage. That's happened in my family. That's happened with my daughters. And it's not a fun place to be, let me tell you, in Orange County with the men that are out there many times. And so sometimes when you stand up for integrity, sometimes when you stand up and say, say no, no, that's not what we're going to do here. Because guess what? We're going to do this with integrity and we're not going to lie to do this deal. Sometimes when you stand up for integrity, you might get a pushback. You might lose power in your, in, in, in your industry. You might be laughed at in your community or your college. You might be put down for what you believe, but when you stand up for God, you don't stand alone, and you're making a huge difference in the lives of the people that are watching and potentially even the person that is pushing back in your life. And this is Elijah. It says, Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe and Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Elijah, this man, comes out of nowhere. Elijah's not on the who's who lists in Israel. He's not a member of the priestly class. He doesn't wear the fine garbs and the robes and dress up like the priests of Baal, right? He's not a member of the priestly class. He's not a part of the false worship system, somehow standing up for God in that system. He's not a member of the kingly line. He's not in politics. He's a dude that's from the wilderness, He's from a place called Gilead. He's a mountain man. He lives off the land. He's lived an austere life. You know, he's fishing and hunting and whatever. This guy's a mountain man, but he knows the word of God and he believes in the promises of God. His character has been shaped in silence and solitude. And Elijah believes in the one true God. And he comes to confront the king and Jezebel and their apostasy. Elijah's name is powerful because that's his ministry, right? Jehovah is my God. That's what Elijah's name means. And that's what it's going to be about. Jehovah is my God. That's Elijah. And what is our name? Christian, right? Christian. What does that mean? Jesus is my God. There's only one God. There's only one true living God. There's only one way. You're kidding me? You're going to claim that there's only one way? Yes, I'm going to claim it because that's what Jesus said. I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's going to be a pushback. I do that at funerals, and guess what? People come up, and they get in my face sometimes because they don't believe that. They don't like that I said that. I apologize and say, I love you, but that's what I'm standing on. Jesus is my God. I'm a Christian. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's my way. Not Muhammad. Muhammad's not my way. Not this other prophet. He's not my way. Not Confucius. He's not my way. Not all ways are way. Jesus is my way. That's what it means to be a Christian. 
Jesus is Lord. That's why they killed people in the first century. Do you know that? Not because they said Jesus is grace. Although that was the message. They killed people in the first century because they said Jesus is Lord and Caesar is not my Lord. Caesar's not God. I'm not going to worship Caesar. I'm going to worship Jesus and Jesus alone. You see, that's, they stood up. That's why, that's why you even have, we're even here today. Because they stood up for what they believed in. And sometimes God's going to call us to stand up. Not to be judgmental, not to be hate-filled, not to wave a flag and say you're going to hell, but to stand up for our story and our belief. No, Jesus is my God. And he's the one that's changed me and turned my life around. He's my grace. He's my salvation. That's Jehovah is God. That's Elijah. He's the first in a line of important prophets. That God will send Israel and Judah, right? The nation's divided. They're sliding into darkness. God will send a prophet to try to bring the, the heart of the people back to God. That's the whole reason he sent a prophet. 300 years. You have, to, you have to hold on to that. Sometimes we read these Old Testament stories and we go, gosh, man. I just, the God of the Old Testament, he's judgmental and he's angry. I like the God of the New Testament. He's full of love and fun and grace. And, you know, he's coffee and pie, man. I love that. But you have to understand, God's willingness to send a prophet to Israel was because he loved Israel. Right? God could have just said, hey, forget it. Go ahead and worship the false gods. You know, have a great life. You know, see how it works out for you. The only reason God was willing to come and speak the truth to the nation was because he loved the nation and his heart was broken. These were his chosen people. He redeemed them and he sent a prophet to speak the truth so they could turn back to life. That's the heart of God. Just like the heart of a father who's willing to go after his teen in addiction. Just like the heart of somebody that cares enough for their marriage to confront their husband or their wife and say, hey, there's some things that aren't working right and I want to tell you the truth because I want a marriage and I want love. Just from someone who's willing to go and love their neighbor and say, hey, can I help you and serve you? Because it seems like things are challenging. Let me help you and let me love you. You know, sometimes we have to care enough to confront and love. Not through judgment, not because we're better than or prideful, because we truly love. Love is willing to say the truth and speak the truth and stand in those consequences with somebody. That's a prophet, that's Elijah, because it's the heart of God and he's calling the people out of idolatry. You're going off the cliff. If you were going off the cliff, would you want somebody to tell you you're going off the cliff? If you're going to die in addiction, wouldn't you want somebody to confront you? If you're, going to go, if you're going the way of greed and you're just living your life for money, and at the end of the road, that money is never going to get you beyond the grave, wouldn't you want somebody to speak the truth and love to you? I think you would. At the end of the day, I think you would. If you had cancer, you would want somebody to come and say, here's how your cancer can be cured. And so... This is the cancer, a disconnection from God and the eternal God. Idolatry never brings life. Money, power, success, the American idols, they're alive and well, right, in our culture. And people are running like, like as fast as they can after that. I got to have money. I got to have power. I got to have sex, man. I got to have sex whenever I want it, when I want it, how I want it, man. Wouldn't you want somebody to say, hey, there's a, there's a different path? There's a way to life that is different than that way, and it comes from the living God because God's changed my life. God's taken idols out of my life, and he's shown me the path of life, and I'm here just to love you and to tell you that there's another way. Wouldn't you want somebody to do that for you? That's what God did for Israel. He's calling them back to the lies of idolatry and to seek intimacy with the true God. There is only one God, and he's turning off the spigot. 
There's only one God. It's a direct confrontation to Baal. Baal is the God of rain. He's the rain God. You're worshiping this rain God? Guess what? The true God's going to turn off the faucet and we'll see who really God is. How does that happen today? I think the greatest way it happens is through a life. Through a changed story. Through a changed life. You know, when somebody lives a marriage that goes the distance in, through up and down and says, guess what? The true God... He saved my marriage. He brought life to me. You know? Marriage comes from the true God, and the true God saved my marriage and made my marriage strong. There. It's the life that we live in Christ. It's our own character. It's our own path of grace. It's integrity in the marketplace. It's the way we treat our neighbors. It's the way we love our friends. This shows that God is the true God, the character of a Christian's life, real Christians living it out. That is the confrontation. The most confronting thing to our culture is somebody living a life for God. It's not really what we say as much. It's what we do with our life. That's what shows people. Guess what? The water's over here. You think life comes from that? Well, guess what? When things fall apart, you know, money's not going to save you from cancer. When things fall apart, success cannot save your marriage when things fall apart the market cannot redeem your children those things are fine but those things are not god the true god is the one who will be with you in life and in death the true god that will show you the way to heaven the true god is the one who gives you grace and truth and we have to live that before we tell that that's what it means a prophet i think to be, have a prophetic life in today's world is to live the story and to live that prophetic story and then your words have power and impact. Isaiah's, um, excuse me, Elijah's words had power and impact because he lived the story. He lived the story. Next week we're going to look at a little bit more of that. But there's only one God and this is a direct challenge to the rain God. This morning as we close our service, we want to tell or ask ourselves this question. Who's the true God? Right? Who's the true God in our life? Because if we're going to stand alone for the true God, we want to know that we're not alone. There is only one God that took on skin that I know of and said, I'm God with flesh on. There's only one God amongst all the gods and all the stories that said, guess what? I'm God with skin on, and here is my body and here's my blood given for you. That is uniquely Christian. That is uniquely grace. How do you know you're not alone? Because God took on flesh and blood. And every time we come to this communion table, we're recognized that Jesus is the true God. He's God with skin on. He's flesh and blood. And he gave his life so that I could know the true God. This cup and this bread says Jesus is the true God. This bread and this cup says I'm not alone because I have been reconciled. And now the spirit of God lives inside of me. I know the true God because he's with me and he lives inside of me through the power of his spirit. This is a spiritual thing. This isn't isn't a religious act. It's a spiritual thing where we encounter the true God through the Holy Spirit in the bread and the cup. The true God is with us. The true God is for us. Who is the true God in your life? A Christian is someone who's always throwing out the idols and the lies of idolatry, right? Is money your security? Is power your source of strength? Is technology what makes you secure? Is your bank account what you're relying upon? Are you living for idols? Are you living for intimacy with the true God? Every time we come to this table, we say, Lord, you're the true God. I don't want to serve idols. I want to serve you. 
And Lord, help me to know as I serve you that I am not alone. What is God saying to you this morning about your heart, about your culture, about the fact that he's called you to stand? And when you stand, you're not alone because you're not standing on an idol. You're standing on intimacy with the true God. That is Elijah. That is what we want to continue to celebrate at the table and walk out in Orange County every day. Would you bow your heads before me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that we are not alone and you are with us. And we know that, Jesus, because you gave your body and blood. You took on skin. You walked in our shoes. You are the true God. You are the living God, as Elijah said, the living God. And you're the God that we serve. You're with us. Meet us in the bread and cup. Heal our hearts. Cleanse us of any idols that are taking control of our lives. We forsake those idols. We throw them out. They are not the way to you. There is only one way to you, Father. That is through your son, Jesus. We celebrate, Jesus, at this table that you are the way, the truth. You are the true God. And you are the living God. You are life. As we participate in communion, meet us at this table and heal our hearts, fill our souls with courage and strength that we could stand in Orange County for the true God. May our lives proclaim that you are true and you are living, you are real. We celebrate, Jesus, that you gave everything so that we might be saved, that we might have grace, that we might be rescued and walk with the true God. Heal us and make us well. May we be able to say this morning, it is well with my soul because I am with the true God and he is with me. Thank you for your body and blood. In Jesus' name. To find out more about us, go online to watermarkoc.church.